0: What I want to do as a sort of introduction for tonight is pick up where Matt left off last week. He did a great job of kicking back off our series. Um, Last week, Matt did a wonderful job of laying out for us three obstacles, obstacles that often hinder unbelievers from following Christ. You guys remember, he took us to Luke 9, Luke chapter 9. And he talked about the idol of comfort and the idol of money and the idol of of family. And we saw there in Luke 9 that those things... uh, comfort, money, and, and family, they aren't inherently wrong, right? No one would say that. They aren't inherently bad. But when your greatest allegiance, hear me out, is to those things, and that's a serious problem. And I thought Matt did a wonderful job of explaining that though Luke 9 is actually evangelistic in nature, that is, its primary focus is, is on unbelievers, it nonetheless was and is still pertinent to believers. I'm sure many of us in here, everyone walked away challenged by that message. If we're completely honest with ourselves, oftentimes uh, we have to be reminded, even as believers, right, that our greatest allegiance isn't to comfort. I know I do. Oftentimes we, as Christians, have to remind ourselves that our greatest allegiance isn't to money and it isn't to our family. Oftentimes, we have to remind ourselves that our greatest allegiance isn't to anything, hear me out, or anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, no one else. And so again, I thought last week was wonderful. Uh, It was and still is very applicable to the believer's life, to the Christian. It, It served as a sort of reminder to us to not make those things idols in our lives. And it's actually one of those things that I want to draw your attention to tonight, money. Money. Money has often been a great spiritual hindrance in the life of the Christian. I really want you guys to lock in tonight. I don't know where your mind is now. I know you got a lot of things going on. We all got a lot of things going on. But but please pay attention to what the Word of God has to say tonight. It's crucial. It's crucial. How we view money and how we perceive money as a Christian is extremely important for our spiritual life. I'll say that again. How we view money and how we perceive money as believers is extremely crucial for our spiritual life. And if you don't believe me, just listen to these words and let them grab your attention. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But, here it is, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is is through this craving, that is the craving of money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's a stunning passage. That passage is saying that money has caused... Certain people to fall away from the faith, ladies and gentlemen. Again, you got to pay attention to this. Money has choked the spiritual life uh, that has been present in the lives of certain individuals. So much so, again, it's caused them to walk away from the faith, to reject Christ. There in, in 1 Timothy 6, that's the passage that I just read from, if you're curious. Paul says that the love of money... What is it? That, that is a lack of contentment with the basic necessities of life has caused many believers to bring upon themselves, he says, harm and ruin and destruction. So, again, I'll say it. The Christian's perspective of money seriously affects their spiritual life. That's what I pulled away from this as I, as I prepared this message. You know, Jesus knew this. I guess Jesus knew all things, right? <laughs> He knew all things. Jesus knew that the believer's perspective in dealing with his or her finances was was extremely correlated with their spiritual health, and so he gives us some instructions on that very issue over in Matthew chapter 6. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be for most of the time tonight. We return to the immortal Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever given by the greatest preacher. You can't get enough of this, right? On this immortal Sermon on the Mount, or as some of you have hit in your community groups, the Sermon on the Heart, our Lord talks about the issue of money. Again, he's trying to restore true righteousness, right? It had been perverted by the Pharisees. And if he wanted to get the people back to true righteousness, he had to deal with this issue of money. Again, because that's crucial to the Christian life, how you view it. So I want us to look at Matthew 6, 9 through 24, Uh, tonight 19 through 24 sorry verse 19 do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for for where your treasure is there your heart will also be the eye is the lamp of the body so if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. or some of your versions say mammon. You know, as I begin to dive into this text and begin to understand what Christ was saying here, It was to my surprise that Jesus talks so much about money. It's everywhere in the Gospels. Listen to this astounding quote that I pulled from a book titled The Treasure Principle. It reads this, and quote, The parable of hidden treasures is one of many references and illustrations Jesus made using money and possessions. In fact, 15% of everything Christ said relates to this topic, that is money and possessions more than his teaching on heaven and hell combined. That, that statistic blew me away when I first read it. Did you, did you happen to catch it? Christ spoke more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined. Christ spoke more about riches and, and, and wealth and, and possessions more than he did about the place of eternal bliss. Hear me out. More than he did about the place of eternal... Damnation of eternal torment. And the book went on to give the reason why he did that. It it continued by saying this. Quote, why did Jesus put so so much of an emphasis on money and possessions? Because there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. And then he, he concludes this. This was just great. We may try to divorce our faith and our finances but God sees them as inseparable. We may try to divorce our faith and our finances, but God sees them as inseparable. You cannot do that, and I'm going to show you that tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what Jesus is saying here in our passage. If if, if you tune me out right now and, and you leave here tonight, just remember this as the believer talking to the Christian in the room. You cannot, you will not, separate your faith and your finances it is not possible it is not possible never has there been in the history of christianity a spiritual mature individual who who didn't think of their finances as as god thought about their finances never has there been in the history of christianity a believer that was greatly used by the lord who didn't have a biblical perspective of their finances Never. And this is something that we, especially here in America, have to take heed to, do we not? We live in a world in a society that is obsessed with money. I think you know this. We we live in a society that says, get rich or what? Die trying. A society that says, money makes the world go round. A society that has trained us to seek to make the most money that we possibly can for our own advancements. For our own goals, for our own pleasure, for our own comfort. And for that reason alone, the words of Christ here in Matthew 6 are extremely important for us to understand, and more importantly, for us to apply to our lives. And so let's look a little closer, closer at what Christ says here. Here in these six verses, I want to simplify this passage for you. Christ does two things one, he commands the believer to not lay up treasures here on earth, in this world. And then two, he gives them reasons why they shouldn't do that. One, he gives them the command, don't lay up treasures here on earth. And then two, he gives them reasons why they shouldn't do that. And so let's look at the command first. We see it at the beginning of verse 19. He says, and look at it, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. And then on the flip side, look at the beginning of verse 20. He says, but lay up, contrary to that, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, treasures in heaven. I want to talk about what this passage isn't saying because this can be misunderstood and it has been twisted. This passage, this passage isn't teaching that it's wrong to save money. I think you guys know that. This passage isn't saying when, when Jesus tells us there in verse 19 not to lay up treasures here on earth, that it's wrong to have a savings account or a retirement plan or, or a plan for the future financially. Scripture actually teaches the opposite. Scripture teaches that you're wise to save your possessions and your finances. Actually, let me show you this. Go back to Proverbs. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, right after Psalms. It is wise to save your money. Jesus is not saying that in Matthew 6. Proverbs 6, look at verse 6. And you guys remember this if you were here in the summer. Matt's hot on this. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or or chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Here the ant is called wise by Solomon. He he, he says in verse 6, he says, Consider the ant ways, sluggard. And why is that? Why why is the ant deemed wise? Why are we commanded to, to, to consider her ways? Well, because verse eight, look at it. She prepares bread in the summer and gathers food in the harvest. It, it, the ant looks to the future and saves. It's wise to save. That's so what this scripture teaches. Go to Proverbs chapter 10. Look at verse four. A slack hand causes poverty. Poverty but the hand of the diligent makes riches. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent or a wise son, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. Here again, we see the same thing. It's prudent. It's wise to save. The person who who doesn't save and has a slack hand, we see in verse 4, what should they expect? Solomon says poverty. But, but on the contrary, the one who is diligent in his work, the one who at the beginning of verse 5 gathers in the, in the summer, the one who saves, he says, is prudent. They're wise. It's wise to save. Go to chapter 13. Proverbs 13. Look at verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, verse 11. But whoever gathers little by little, will increase it. Here it is again. Look at verse 22 of the same chapter. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Here in in chapter 13, we see it twice. It's wise to save. It's wise to save as opposed to to gaining with the fraudulent hand is is, is Solomon's point in, in verse 11. He says, save little by little. Save, don't attain wealth by dishonest gain. And down in verse 22, he says, it's wise for a man to leave an inheritance for his children. And he says, no, his children's children. And how do you do that? You gotta save, right? You gotta save. Lastly, go over to Proverbs 21, chapter 21. It's everywhere. 21, verse 20. Precious treasure and oil are in the wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. That is to say, the wise man understands the worth of his possession and saves them, but the fool devours it, he says. The fool doesn't stop to think of the future and to save the treasure he presently possesses, but rather he's impulsive with, with his dealings. He's impulsive and he consumes all that he has and he doesn't save. Is it wrong to save? Absolutely not. The wise person is the one who gathers for the summer. Again, oh slugger, consider the ways of the ant. She gathers her bread in the summer. The wise person is the one who thinks of his future and his family's future and stores away possessions as opposed to impulsively getting rid of them. Scripture doesn't teach that it's wrong to save. I've got to make that clear. And Jesus wasn't teaching that back in Matthew. Chapter 6, go back there now with me. What is Jesus not saying? He's not saying don't save. He's not telling us to, to, to just give all our, our, our finances or our, our wealth away. So what is Jesus saying here in Matthew 6 when he says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth and then lay them up in heaven. To to lay up treasures here on earth means to save up or to hoard up wealth for selfish purposes. That's what Jesus is saying here. It it means to selfishly amass or to accumulate riches for oneself with no goal, hear me out, to amass and accumulate wealth with, with no goal of using it for furthering the kingdom of God. Simply put, Jesus is commanding the believer to, to, to invest their wealth in heaven as opposed to earth. Treasures in Jesus' day could have been anything from gold or, or silver uh, to money to possessions, that which was highly valued by the individual. And Jesus is commanding the believer to not invest those things which they highly value, which was oftentimes money. D- don't invest those things, he says here in verse 19, to the causes of this world, but rather to the cause of Christ to the cause of God. He, he says here, don't focus your wealth on earthly issues, but rather focus them on heavenly issues. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Let me show you an example of what it looks like to store up treasures here on earth. You, you might be wondering, is that me? Am I doing that? It's a wonderful question. And I want to give you a, a parallel passage that shows what it looks like to store up treasures Here on earth. Flip over to Luke's gospel. He gives a wonderful example. Luke chapter 12. The parable of the rich fool. I'll start in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on, on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable saying, and, and, and this parable is to, is to make the point, to drive home the point of what he just said in verse 15, that one, one's life does not just con, consist of earthly possessions. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns, I will build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is, here it is, guys, so it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Here Jesus says, this is the person. Here it is, guys. This is the person who lays up treasure here on earth. This man here in this parable wasn't focused on God, right? That's not hard to see. He was focused on himself. He wasn't worried about using his excess of goods to advance the kingdom of God. He was worried about advancing his own kingdom. This man was selfishly accumulating for himself wealth. In verse 18, look at it again. He says, and I will, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and, and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Here in this text, we can see what lies at the heart of the one who lays up treasure here on earth. It's a great passage. We see that they always have their eyes on bigger and better things. Bigger and better things. The man says here, I got a barn, but I need to tear it down. I want a bigger one. I want a better one. Those who lay up treasure here on earth have eyes that are often coveting after other things. They're always chasing after the bigger and the better things. They have to have the bigger house. They have to have the nicer car. They have to have the higher paying job. Again, they have to have the bigger and the better. We also see here from this man's life, from this parable, that the one who lays up treasure here on earth is focused on their own comfort. And we talked about that last week, did we not? The man says, the heck with kingdom business, the heck with kingdom business, the heck with giving my money and my finances to God. I, I have to make sure I'm set for life. I have to make sure that in my latter days, look at the end of verse 19. I, 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 I want to make sure I can say this to myself. Soul, you have ample good laid up for, for many years. Relax, eat, be merry, be merry. This is what it means. This is what it looks like to lay up treasures in or on earth. This is what it looks like to selfishly amass and hoard wealth. Jesus says to the believer back in Matthew 6, don't do that. Don't do that. Rather than focusing on our own comfort and focusing on the bigger and better things, the believers to be investing their finances into the things of God. They are to be stewarding their money in such a way, listen to this, that advances the glory of God. That is what it means to lay up treasures in heaven. You're using your finances to advance the glory of God. Believers, as opposed to storing up riches for yourselves, invest in eternity. Invest in eternity. Listen to First Timothy six, verse seventeen through nineteen. 1 Timothy six talks a lot about riches. It says as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. And just so you know, when 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 Paul uses the word rich there in First Timothy six, the, the the word literally means one who. Who, who is abundant in material things. That would include all of us here, most people in America. He says, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Here it is, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future storing up treasures in heaven according to Paul there in 1 Timothy 6 is is being rich in good works not rich on this earth financially being rich in good works he he says that the believer who's abounding in material things are are to share and be generous with others because God has given them so much which describes you which describes you ladies and gentlemen are you like the man here in Luke 12 who was focusing on, on on his own comfort as he sought to amass his, his money and his finances? Is that is that you? Or are you giving to the causes of God? Are you like the man here in Luke, in Luke 12, always having your eyes set on the bigger and the better? Oh, I gotta get here. Oh, I gotta get there. Oh, oh, I gotta get this job and, and this salary. Is that you, or are you sharing your wealth for the sake of God's glory? As believers, we must give to the causes of heaven. As believers, we must refuse to invest into the things of this world, but rather invest in heaven. And I want to give you some reasons why you ought not to do that, why you ought not to invest in this life and amass wealth for yourself. Go back to Matthew 6. Deontay, why shouldn't I chase after the riches of this earth? Why? Why shouldn't I seek to accumulate wealth for myself? Those who make lots of money have lots of gadgets. They seem pretty happy. Why shouldn't I do this? I'm glad you asked. Jesus answers those questions in the following verse of our text. He not only commands the believer to not amass for themselves selfishly, that is, lay up treasures here on earth, but he graciously gives them reasons why not to do that. Isn't that amazing that God does that? He he could just simply say, and he would be just in doing so, don't do this. Don't do this. And because he's the creator and the Lord of of the earth, he would be just in doing so and leaving it there. But here in our text, he gives you reasons. He's imploring you, don't do this, and I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you why. Reason number one comes in the second half of verse 19. Verse 19. In verse 20, he says, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Reason number one why you shouldn't lay up treasures here on earth is this, because it won't last. Because it won't last. This is obvious, right? Treasures invested in this world are temporal. Temporal. And short-lived, they're transient. The idea behind moth and, and rust destroying is a rather swift consumption or, or a deterioration of whatever material thing you're putting your hope in. Here's what Jesus is saying. Let me sum it up. You might have nice things one moment, but they will for certain be gone in the next. They will for certain be gone in the next. He says, you might have a, a lots of gadgets and riches here in this life, but they will for certain all fade away someday. The material and possessions that we hold near and dear to our hearts will not last. They cannot last. For all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. That's 1 John 2. John says that the earth, with all its characteristics, with all its cares, will eventually be brought to the To an end. He says they are passing away. In 2 Peter 3, we're told this world is going to be destroyed. There's literally going to be an implosion. And God is going to rebuild this earth. Going back to 1 Timothy 6, Paul said this. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Why, Paul? Why why should I be content with where I'm at in life and what I'm doing in life? He says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it. We can't take anything out of it. I'm sure you've heard the old Christian adage, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? You've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse, and there'll never be one. There'll never be one. Because you can't take anything out of this life. And, and everything in this life is going to be consumed one day. This life with all its cares are passing away and nothing, hear me out, nothing is going to last. Uh, stamp that on your forehead. In- ingrain that in your heart. Nothing will last. Nothing. No material thing at least. And so reason number one for not storing up treasures here on earth is is the most obvious one. They won't last. They won't last. He gives us another one, though. It it redirects our hearts away from God. That's reason number two. It redirects our hearts away from God. Look at verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? How great is it? And, and you can make the case that, that uh, these verses here, verse 21 through 23, get at the heart of what Jesus is ultimately trying to communicate. He's trying to communicate to the believers that our, our hearts are directed by our treasures or our wealth tends to lead Our hearts, to put it as plainly as possible, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is saying this, that our money doesn't follow our heart. Our heart follows our money. That's what he's saying. Listen, I'm going to say that again. Your money doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your money. This is what Jesus is saying here. And so keeping that reality in mind, those who invest in the things of this world will find their hearts being pulled by this world. Those who selfishly hoard riches in this life will find their hearts focusing on this life. You, you ever wonder why you're living a worldly life? Maybe it's because you have a horizontal perspective. You're caring too much about this life. And that is detrimental, ladies and gentlemen. Detrimental. You, you have to protect your heart. Your heart is essential to your spiritual life. You know that, right? Right? It's the guide of the Christian life, the heart is. Just as the eye is the bodily organ or or the bodily organ that guides the body, so too is it with your heart and your spiritual life. That's what Jesus is getting at when he gives the analogy in verses 22 and 23. If the guide of your physical body, that is our eyes, right? are bad, then the rest of our body is going to be greatly affected, right? That, that, that wouldn't be nice, right? We just walk and slam it into things. It's going to, it's going to affect us, right? And making the connection to our hearts, if, if the guide to our spiritual life is bad, and look at what he says at the end of verse 20, 23, if then the light in you that is your heart is darkness, how great is the darkness? How great is your life going to be affected? How great are you going to be blinded? How great are you going to be blinded the, the bible says the heart is the seat of our feelings. It, it's it says it's the controller of our thoughts and our emotions proverbs 4 warns the believer to guard it you've ever wondered what the, where you get that from guard your heart that's proverbs 4 23 solomon says guard your heart because why the springs of life flow from it the springs of life flow from it." jesus here in the sermon on the mount we know this right We know this because we're studying this in our community groups. What is Jesus getting at? He's driving to the heart because it controls everything. It controls everything. They worship me with their lips, but what? Their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. The heart is the guide for the believer's spiritual walk. And if your heart is being led to this world due to a focus on wealth and riches, then you can expect your spiritual lives to greatly be hindered. If your hearts are being redirected to focus on money and riches and your own comfort and possessions, then that will have a snowball effect. Snowball effect. Again, you cannot separate your faith and your finances. You cannot. You cannot give your heart to this world and at the same time Give it to God. I'm, I'm so challenged by this, ladies and gentlemen. Just, just this class that we had, the, the Reformation, men giving their lives to the cause of Christ. Giving their lives to the cause of Christ. They were singly devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory. That's it. That's it. You cannot give your heart to this world and at the same time give it to God which leads us to our last reason why we shouldn't lay up treasures on earth. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, I've said it so many times, serve God and money. Reason number three of why we shouldn't lay up treasures here on earth is because it will enslave us. It will enslave us. And this is a frightening reality that I pray never come true for any of us here. At the heart of this verse is the truth that you can have but one allegiance, right? We heard that last week. You can have but one allegiance. You, you can have but one Lord. You can have but one master. One master. The, the principle presented here in verse 24 is, is really communicating that you cannot have your heart and mind focused on riches of this world and be serving the Lord at the same time. And so let me say this. If your heart is focused on this world and money, you are not serving the Lord as he wants you to. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. It's impossible, Jesus says. He says you cannot. Look at the end of verse 24 again. You cannot serve God in money. You're either ruling your finances or listen to this. Your finances are ruling you. There's no gray area. And that makes complete sense, right? Because when it comes to worshiping the Lord, when it comes to living a life for Christ, there is no such thing as being halfway in. There is no such thing as being halfway in. It's impossible. You're either all the way in or you're all the way out. And I want to read some verses for you that sort of confirm that very thing, that, that one allegiance idea, that one Lord idea, that something's mastering you. And it's either the Lord or it's something else. And you don't have to turn to all these passages, but if you've tuned out, tune back in and listen to what the word of God has to say concerning this issue. This is crucial. I'm going to read these passages for you. Just listen. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and, and in faithfulness. Serve him alone. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose. Whether the gods of your father who served in the region beyond the river or the God of the Amorites, choose whom you are going to serve. But, but as for me and my house, what? We're going to serve the Lord. Who are you going to serve? 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. And Samuel said to the house of, of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. If you are returning to the Lord, he says, put away your idols. Put them, put them away and serve him alone. One allegiance, one Lord. 1 Kings 18 verse 21. And Elijah came near to the people, the people of Israel, and he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? I, I can just hear his passion. H- how long will you go limping between God and, and, and money, between God and possessions, between, between God and this high-paying job? How long? How long? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if, if Baal is God, he says, then follow him. Then follow him. If the Lord is God, then treat him as such. But if your money is God, then why don't you bow to it? Ezekiel 20, verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols. Did you hear that? He he just told the people, go serve your idols. Why? Why would he say that? If you will not listen to me. If you will not lessen me. But my holy name you shall no more profane, and with your gifts and your idols. Go serve your gods. You you either give it all to me or you go serve your gods. Coming to the New Testament, Romans 6, verse 16. Do do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Do, Do you know that you're slaves to the one whom you obey? Guys, we were created to worship. The question isn't, are we worshiping something? The question is, who are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? Some worship money. Some worship fame, right? Some worship school and scholastics. You are slaves to the one whom you obey, Paul says, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Galatians 1, we just saw this, right? We're going through it here at church. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Such an indicting question. Am I seeking the approval of man or God? When I stand up here and preach, am I seeking your approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please man, Paul says. If I were still trying to please man, he says, I would not. I could not serve Christ. He could not. He had an audience of one. James 4.4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over your spirit? God wants it all and you know he's going to get it one day, right? I pray that it's in this life that people will bow the knee, or Philippians 2, they're going to bow the knee unwillingly. They're going to bow the knee unwillingly. What's the theme that runs through each and every one of those verses? It's one allegiance. It's one Lord. It's one master. One master. There can only be in your life one Lord can only be in your life one master. You cannot serve God in something else or someone else. And of course, this pertains to money. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot. We've got to ask ourselves, how are we to accomplish this and in concluding? And what I'm asking here is how are we to be obedient to what our Lord commands here in verses 19 and 20? To, to not focus on ourselves and our own comfort and the bigger and better things, but to invest in eternity. How are we to do that? And in one sense, the answer is given in the reasons why Jesus says we shouldn't lay up treasures in heaven, right? If we truly want to invest our wealth in heaven as opposed to investing it on earth, then we must remind ourselves that the earthly treasures will not last. We must remind ourselves that the earthly treasures will turn us from God and darken our spiritual eyes. We we must remind ourselves that the earthly treasures will enslave us and master us. We have to remind ourselves of these things if we are to flee from the idol of money. But I also think there's another way by which we can accomplish what Jesus says here. I think there's another way in which we could invest our finances, our wealth, our excess of goods in eternity. And I think it comes in the following paragraph. We're not going to read it all. Do not be anxious, though. You know that. Do not be anxious. I really wish I had another message to dive into verses 25 through 34 because I think 19, from 19 all the way to 34, it's really a unit. And you're actually going to see that in your community groups. 16 uh, through 24 is the passage we're coming up to this next week. You're going to find that 19 all the way through 34 is, is a unit. It's a union. And so another way to accomplish what Jesus demands here of us, another way to not accumulate and to amass selfishly, but to have our focus on heaven and to invest our finances there is not to worry. Is not to worry about this life. Not, not worrying about the things of this world, but rather focusing on God and his righteousness. As we close, look at verse 33. Look at verse 33 of Matthew 6. I mean, this sums it up. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Instead of being anxious and worried about all all these things in life. And and in in 25, or yeah, in 25 all the way to 34, he's talking about the necessities, not wealth. He's talking about necessities. And he says, don't even worry about those, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, that is the basic things of life, will be added to you. If you want to flee, from the selfish storing up of riches on this earth from pursuing your own comfort bigger and better and to focus your eyes on eternity and your finances on eternity seek god's kingdom and his righteousness first and his righteousness first seek his kingdom first seek his glory first and not your own think of god first is what jesus says here close with me in prayer Lord, thank you for your word. It's so rich and it's so wonderful. And uh, just, just this whole sermon from Matthew 5 to, to 7 is unbelievable. It's, it's incomparable. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for always challenging us with all your hard sayings, which we're going to continue to look at as the semester unfolds. Th- thank you so much, Lord, for, for making us your own and God, as your own, we want to pray that we wouldn't selfishly amass for ourselves here on earth and to focus on this life. As believers, if we're honest, Father, there's been times where we're, we're thinking of ourselves in our own glory. But you say, don't do that here. You say, focus on, on heaven. Focus our money, our treasures, that which we hold dear to our heart. Focus it on heaven and, because the things on earth won't last. And, and the things on earth are going to redirect our hearts from you and the, the things that are on earth are going to are going to steal our allegiance, Lord, and so Father, help us to see those things and help us to to flee from them and to flee from them help us to Father give to it hurts and again, that doesn't exclude being wise. we looked at that today, Father, but it means focusing again first and foremost on your glory, help us with that, Lord help us to not be anxious and worried about this life, but help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and you promise. All these things, that is the basic necessities of life, will be added to us. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for all you do for us, Lord. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name, amen.